0: Hi, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I've actually been in private practice for over 20 years, and I'm so glad you've joined me. Today, we're going to be talking about the role of intention in parenting, and we're going to be focused on specifically letting go of your children, empty nest, whatever you want to call it. How do you do that? where you don't feel like something bad is happening to you or you're a victim, but that you're riding with something or even choosing it because it's a transition and an important transition. I'll describe what I call my MOM movement or mom movement, which I developed when my son had his first serious girlfriend. I'll give you a hint. It stands for move over mom. <laughs> then we're going to talk about at least five ways to avoid empty nest You really can start planning and preparing for letting go of your kids way before they're old enough to actually go out on their own. And it will help prepare you so that when you do get there, you can let go a little more easily, not become one of those helicopter parents we hear about. That's not good. And then, lastly, I'm going to read an email from a listener. She's asking questions about the difference between perfectly hidden depression, which there's some episodes 3, 4, and I want to say 21 on perfectly hidden depression. And she wants to know the difference between that and what's called dysthymia or mild to moderate depression. I thought it was a wonderful question. Before we start talking about that, however, I do want to tell you that I participated last night in a local This Is My Brave program, which is actually going on nationally. And I was so honored to be a part of it. I'm going to be featuring that in next week's podcast episode. And I'm hoping that some of the other participants will allow me to read some of their work. I was incredibly moved when they were talking about the mental illness battles that they had, bipolar, depression, anxiety, eating disorders. It was a wonderful evening. So that's for next week. But now we're talking about letting go. There are so many transitions in parenting, from hands-on parent to empty nest parent. You'll hear, Hey, Mom, will you take us to the pool? Two. Hey, Dad, I'm not going to be here for dinner, but can some guys come over later? Two. And this is one I remember hearing distinctly. Hey, Mom, you know I'm not coming home spring break, right? And he put his arm around me and gave me a kind of a smile, And all I could do was smile back. I've certainly had my ups and downs with this whole letting go process. In fact, it's how I started blogging in the first place. I even made up a name for it. I called it Nestache, N-E-S-T-A-C-H-E. And if any of you are curious about my particular struggles, you can go on to my website at DrMargaretRutherford.com and read my early blogs on the process. But something has really helped me to ease whatever sadness I had about missing him, all his shoes in the den, and all that energy around the house. Even when we went to go see him at college, there was this awkwardness in my new role. I felt like I was looking on instead of being a part of things. And that's hard. That's a huge transition. But it came down to one thing that really helped me. I have chosen with intention to let go. I've told myself that nothing was being torn from me. I wasn't losing my grip on my child or my ability to mother. Life was not yanking my son away from me. Since I wrote about empty nests so much, I got a lot of, especially Facebook posts, from people who were really struggling with depression about their children aging or leaving home. I can remember the language saying, you know, I'm being robbed. I put all this energy into my children and now... They're going or they're growing older, and I am i don't know what to do with myself. They almost feel victimized by the process. One of my blogger colleagues, Lisa Heffernan, who has a wonderful website called Grown and Flown, wrote a post one time about the pain of, quote-unquote, choosing to know your child less. But when you think about it, we give up lots of things that have had their time and no longer fit the present. Certainly, I've had clothes that (laughs) either no longer fit physically or no longer fit my age or whatever, and I've had to give up those lovely outfits. And I know children aren't clothes, but it's a process I'm talking about. So if you claim intentionality, it's empowering, even if it is painful. I'll give you an example. When, again, my son had his first serious girlfriend in college, I can remember us going to lunch one day. Now, it had always been his father and me and him, because they're just the three of us. And I usually scooted next to my son when we would go have lunch, you know, on the same side of the booth. Well, we were going to the restaurant, and I was behind him and his girlfriend, and his girlfriend went in one side of the booth, and he went on the same side as she was. And I can remember thinking, oh, this is the new normal. Okay. Okay. And I had to smile to myself because I was caught up by my own confusion about wanting it to happen, being glad he had a girlfriend. And oh, okay. Hmm. Well, this will be different. That's when I came up with the idea of the mom movement move over mom. <laughs> and I would tell myself, okay, mom, move over, move over, move over. <laughs> And it's really helped. Again, it is me trying to adopt a more intentional letting go process. It may still be a little painful, but at least I'm choosing to do it, right? But how do you start preparing as a parent for that letting go? I actually had a patient many years ago. I can't truly remember why she'd come into therapy, but she described a relationship with her adult children so beautifully And didn't seem to have any trouble with the whole empty nest concept or experience. And I asked her, you seem to be fine with this whole thing. Is that true or do you have a secret? And she sort of smiled at me and said, you have to relish each stage of your child's life. So that's my first recommendation for how you begin to prepare for letting go. Another friend and colleague, Melissa Schultz, has written a great book called From Mom to Me Again, and she really describes these transitions beautifully. You might want to pick up a copy of her book. I don't get any kind of percentage or anything, although I am quoted in the book. But anyway, let's talk about relishing each stage of your child's life. What you have to do is stay in the present and enjoy rather than worrying that there is a set amount of time for childhood. You relish that time, you wrap yourself up in it. Then you're more able to let it go because you realize you really, really got everything out of it. How would I define letting go? In this way, it's not looking back. When one of my goddaughters was four, her mother asked her if she was looking forward to turning five the next day. With tears in her eyes, she said, No, mommy, I loved being four. And we parents are like that sometimes. We we cling to our children and wish they weren't growing up. We look back and say, oh, gosh, if only they were two or four or seven. Now, I will say that probably no one wishes their child was 13 or 14 again. We kind of want to skip that. But what not looking back means that you look forward to the next age with them. You're moving along with them, almost like you did when You taught them how to ride their bike, but they were still a little bit teetering, and so you ran along beside. You're running along beside. You're staying where they are, but you're not as much in control. It's more scary. It's unfamiliar, but you can do it. And so you relish what's going on in the present, but then you don't look back. The second idea of how to not necessarily avoid emptiness, but make it not quite so painful is to work on your relationship with your partner. I cannot tell you how many people I see who have never done anything together as a couple once they had children. I don't know, it's like they believe they can have a plant in the house and never water it or cut it back and it's supposed to grow and develop. So you have to, during the bulk of your marriage, try to stay as connected as you can. However, even if you haven't done this, A year or two before your children actually leave home, you can start asking questions. Don't be paralyzed by the fact of, well, we haven't done a very good job of nurturing our relationship. Okay, what can you do about that now? What do you have control over now? You can talk about what you're looking forward to, what your fears are, what it's going to be like without any children in the home. Now, many people write me after I start talking about this or writing about this and say, well, my children come back, which is, of course, a phenomenon, but it's different. It gets a little more complicated when perhaps that child has almost served a function in their parents' relationship. They've been a buddy or a confidant to one parent or the other. That's not good for the couple or for the child, and so his or her departure may reveal what has been sealed from you. And you may, as a couple, have to tackle some real problems. But again, if you start talking about it, you've got, as we'd say in Arkansas, a fair to middle in chance of doing something positive about it. The third thing you can do to ease some of the transition from hands-on parent to not so hands-on, you can focus on your friendships. We often may not spend so much time with our friends unless they have children that are the same age as our children, when we're relishing all that time, like from number one, but they're very vital. And so you want to maybe pick up an old friendship that you had let lapse. And of course, with the time you have, now that your child or children have gone to work, or gone into the military, gone to college, you have more opportunity to create new friendships. It's almost as if you realize that your child's life will be filled with fresh experiences, so it's good to have yours as well. You have something to talk to them about rather than only absorbing what they call home or text home and tell you about. You can also respond, yeah, I'm on this new committee, or I've planted a garden, or whatever it is that you've done. My fourth suggestion is to discover your own creativity and power. Now, A lot of folks, maybe in their 40s, 50s, however old you are when your children are actually leaving, will say, well, I don't know what else I can do. I was into being a mom. I was into being a dad. So I give an assignment to patients who can't answer this question. I have them think of things that either they've always wanted to do but never done, or if their best friend was sitting in a chair beside us, they would say, oh, she would never do that. These again are simple things, doable things, but I ask that the patient do one thing a day. Like an example would be to go down a street you've always wanted to go down or eat a vegetable you've never eaten. That's an example of the first one where you're doing something you want to do, but you've never done it. An example of the second one would be, let's see, for me it would be I don't like red shoes. I'd, actually, I don't like my feet. So I would go to Payless or something and buy a pair of red shoes and wear them. So it's kind of interesting what happens with this exercise. What it shows is that change can occur. Again, when you intentionally choose something, you're going to grow in ways you didn't realize. So in becoming more creative with your life, whether that's through actual art or music or whatever, try the assignment. You have to find hope first that you can grow and then you sort of inch out of your comfort zone. All you have to do is take baby steps and then you'll get more mental energy and physical energy to take more risks. My fifth recommendation is one that we've heard so much we're almost deaf to it as a culture It's about self-care or taking the time to care for yourself. If you start doing this prior to your child or children leaving your home, then you can continue doing that. And if you have not done it, then you can begin doing it. There is more and more research coming out every day on how regular exercise, good nutrition, meditation, yoga can greatly increase the chance of a more positive aging experience but you have to make yourself important. You've made your child important. And if you're caring for aging parents, which many of us do about this time of life, then you're making them important. If you let time be an excuse why you don't, that's not fair to you. That's not good for you. Use time as a reason to take care of yourself, not an excuse not to do so. So I'm trying to do these five things, and I'm continuing to work on acceptance of my new role with my son. He's actually out in California doing something extremely exciting for him. And I know that I'm important to him, but I'm not primary to who he is anymore or what he does. He was never really mine to keep in the first place, but a blessing that was given to me to care for and cherish. So if I follow my own suggestions, what will I do? I will with intention relish and not look back. I will with intention not harangue about texts left unanswered or calls that I love getting only from time to time. I will not make that about me. I will with intention know that he's busy building his own life in a life that's very full. I will with intention be grateful for that because I can assure you that is a blessing that many people do not have. And I will with intention, realize that I will always be mom. I hope you do the same, because unfortunately, severe feelings of emptiness can lead to depression. Worry about your child can certainly cause you to be stuck in anxiety. So letting go, knowing you've done a good enough job, as as the theorist Winnicott used to say. And then if your child does get in trouble, you will be better set to respond, and to help him or her. I hope that's helpful. Now, I'm going to read an email from a listener, and this one's a little bit longer than some of the ones that I've used before, but I thought she asked some really, especially one really great question and made some interesting comments. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I just listened to your most recent podcast on Perfectly Hidden Depression. I wanted to fill you in on who I am as a podcast listener since you requested that info, and I did. Thanks so much. I think I started listening to your podcast after reading one of your articles on Perfectly Hidden Depression. It resonated with me, so I wanted to see what you had to say about it on your podcast. Your voice and manner are very soothing. Thank you. And it's so interesting hearing good information about therapy and PhD, kind of like getting some free therapy. That's what my patients say too. <laughs> they say, you're giving this out for free. On <laughs> Anyway, I fit every single characteristic to a T, including compulsive overeating and a husband who is as bad at intimacy as I am. I like therapy and have been in it most of my adult life. It seems a little depressing that I've been in it for so long and I'm not anywhere close to fixed, but I feel like I have found a really good therapist now and we're making good progress. I'm in a kind of a slump right now because I've become Unbalanced. I focused a little too long on just doing the boring to-do lists that go along with motherhood and housekeeping, so I've kind of lost myself. Plus, I haven't had any of those achievements or accomplishments you mention as one of the characteristics of people with PhD, not in a long time. I was a straight-A student and a very successful teacher before having my son, so I definitely liked getting that recognition and all of those gold stars. It's very hard to get gold stars from motherhood. Though I work at his school volunteering and doing other stuff, it's not quite the same. I want to do more and find my own interests, but I feel guilty and such a lack of energy to add anything else to my life. A question I've been meaning to ask you for a while concerns dysthymia, which I've always heard described as, quote-unquote, low-level, consistent depression. How do you compare that with Ph.D.? Before I'd heard about PhD, I would describe my condition to doctors as having dysthymia, since I always seemed to have something low-level that was always there, but not necessarily as obvious as other depressives. Of course, it makes much more sense as a PhD disorder or experience. Now, she called it a diagnosis. It's not really a diagnosis. It makes much more sense as a PhD experience now. I was just kind of curious if you saw any link between the two. Okay. So I answered her, hi, thanks so much for introducing yourself. I loved your comment. There are no gold stars from motherhood. Boy, are you ever right. I hope you and your new therapist can sort out how you've lost yourself and add you back into your equation. Guilt is not a helpful emotion unless it's quick and leads to a change of behavior, as one of my supervisors told me one time. Again, I think this harkens back to what we were talking about in the podcast itself, Where self-care and having some interest on your own, feeding your relationship, all of that is important in trying to not just set up the letting go process to go well, but to function well in general. So let's continue with my response. As far as dysthymia and PhD are concerned, I think your point is a good one. Anhedonia, or the lack of pleasure in previously pleasurable activity, is part of the diagnosis of dysthymia. I think a lot of people who've identified as having PhD would certainly say they act like they enjoy their activities. But some of them have told me they do enjoy them at the same time there is depression underneath. This is kind of tricky. And again, that's why your point is really, really good. Remember, someone with PhD isn't sometimes aware at all of what they're doing. The hiding depression is as natural to them as breathing So the other difference might be that someone with dysthymia often recognizes that something is missing. Someone with Ph.D., not necessarily. Your point was also actually made by Lindsay Holmes, who is one of the senior editors of the Huffington Post. And I'm going to include that link in the show notes. My hope concerning Ph.D. is not to make it into a diagnosis. I'm trying to paint a picture for people who might not even recognize they're in trouble or certainly might not seem like that to therapists. Thanks so much for being a listener. So if you're new to this podcast, I've done several podcasts on perfectly hidden depression and you might want to read up on it. It is a syndrome, which is basically a group of behaviors that are found together frequently that might indicate a certain problem like codependence is a syndrome. It's not a diagnosis, and there are at least 10 characteristics or 10 traits of perfectly hidden depression, and that's the name of one of my podcasts. I believe it's 21, so you might look and see about that. Thanks so much to this listener for your email. I did change my answer to it a little bit in the podcast, trying to make it a little more clear as I read what I'd actually written. I thought, you know, I'm not sure I agree with myself, so maybe I cleared it up hopefully a little bit more. Thanks for writing. There are many ways of getting in touch with me. And I have had more and more listeners write me an email or even leave me a text message. And I've so appreciated getting to know who you are. You can email me confidentially at AskDrMargaret at com. My website is DrMargaretRutherford.com. And I have a Facebook page where you can follow me. Again, it's DrMargaretRutherford. I post there different things that interest me activities, that kind of thing that you might be interested in. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret, and I have a special favor to ask. Please give me a rating on iTunes if that's where you listen, or on Stitcher, and I'd love reviews. I've noticed that I haven't gotten any in a while, and i really so appreciate it if you would take probably the five minutes it would take to get on iTunes and leave me a review. It's helpful for me to know what people are liking, what maybe they wish I would change. I'm wanting to do interviews, but frankly, we're remodeling right now, and my studio is in my home. So unless you want to hear a lot of banging and hammering in the background, I have to wait to do interviews. But those will be coming. I have some great people I want to interview. And of course, subscribe. Those are really going up, and I so appreciate that. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.